Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. We're back in Exodus chapter 17. And... uh, let me give you the background of this. This is the, the Exodus story is the story of how God, who elected a nation called Israel to be the vehicle in which he was going to bring the seed of a woman, which is going to be Jesus Christ, into this world to be his salvation to all that would believe in him. And so in that journey, the children of Israel are God's sovereignly selected people. They come out of the loins of Abraham. They found themselves for nearly 500 years in the most severe of bondages. They, were, uh, they entered into Egypt as friends because of Joseph's interaction, but very quickly through a succession of changes of uh, pharaohs, our leaders, they became oppressed and became slaves, and they were horrendously treated. It's alleged that they were the ones that helped to build a lot of the great pyramids and structures of Egypt, but they were horrendously treated. Uh, slaves back then, there was no United Nations. <laughs> there was no Red Cross. There was no uh, Bill of Rights. Uh, it was a horrendous existence and so um, millions of millions of them now at this stage after 470 or 90 years can't quite remember the exact figure but they were there they had populated and um, they were crying out to God and of course we know this deliverance the exodus is the deliverance story the coming out of of God bringing to himself electing to himself this this nation of Israel and then we know the mighty story of the of the 10 plagues that strike Egypt because Egypt wasn't ready to leave, let, its grip, let, let loose of its grip over the children of God. And so we know that amazing story uh, culminating at the very end with the Passover, which is, of course, for every Christian, a picture type of Christ himself and how the, the children of Israel, how they were spared the, the slaying of their firstborn. And then after that, number 10, uh, plague against uh, Egypt, God, Pharaoh relents, opens his hand and lets the children of Israel go. And so we know the story. They go out, you know, with great joy, a great sense of, um, and they they don't go out poor. They go out with a lot of the plunder of Egypt. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the Egyptians understood what was happening. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, but they wanted the children of Israel out because all these pestilences were falling upon them. And it's nearly like they're stuffing the gold in their hands. Now, please don't come back. Just go. Just go. And so as they went, we know that Pharaoh changed his mind a couple of days later and sends his army after them. And they are at the edge of the Red Sea. And God, God provides this most incredible um, protection with them. He sends a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Um, guiding them, protecting them. And so they sense and they see and they know the presence of God. And even as the, as the armies of Pharaoh approach, God, through the mighty, his mighty hand, opens the Red Sea and they cross, cross the Red Sea on dry ground. And that's not the only miracle, of course. Pharaoh and his army give chase. And of course, the waters collapse upon them. And Pharaoh and his army are destroyed. And so Miriam writes her song, a uh, wonderful song of worship with the ladies and the men and the priests of the time, how the horse and the rider have been cast into the sea. And so there's a great rejoicing. There's great joy. They see the provision of God. But we are here in chapter 17, and it's not too long into the journey. It's not too long at all, friends. And uh, they face a massive test. 
And that's life. Life is full of tests. God allows that because God is producing a character in us, producing qualities that wouldn't be produced under normal circumstances. And he brings them to a, a place. Let me read here from uh, chapter 17. Let's read from verse 1. At the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. Eventually, they camped at Rephidim. But there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Walk out in front of the people, take your staff, the one that you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told and water gushed out and the elders looked on. And so here we are, friends. Uh, it's interesting. This is not long into the journey. The children of Israel end in a place called Rephidim. And the, the name Rephidim in, in the Hebrew means resting place. <laughs> it's amazing what God calls resting places, isn't it? They're actually in the place of extreme irritation they're in a place where they they have no answers no solutions and yet God called that place resting place you know you know can we thank God for times of extreme irritation can we thank God or go to a place as a Christian where we believe that the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord even if they bring you into desert places even if they bring you into wilderness experiences can we as Christians learn from the history lesson of Israel that we are in the hand of God and God knows exactly what he's doing with us? I mean, we as Israel have a similar testimony. You know, Israel not only had the testimony of the blood and the deliverance, so we, friends, being brought out of an Egypt, a type of darkness, of course, and we weren't purchased with the palsy things of silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. And so here they are, they're in the middle of this place where they have no answers, God leads them there. They're frustrated. There is no rest for them. And sometimes God has to take you to a place of great personal crisis before you can truly understand what rest is. Before you can truly understand the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, friends. This is, never, this is not the small print of your Bible. This is not the little appendage to the side. This is Christian life. This is walking with God. This is what life's about. That's thanks be to God today that God saw how difficult life is after sin entered into the world, friends, that he has promised and brought about a salvation. Thank God one day we will all rest from our labors. That's called the physical death. Where, you know, when you go to a funeral and they say he's at rest, it means there's no more striving anymore to break through all the containments, contagions of the sinful realm that's around us and we've entered into the rest of God. And of course, friends, that rest is there for every true believer in Jesus. But God calls a place of, of, of irritation. He, he calls it resting place. And so there is this insurrection in the heart of people. It's, how, it's amazing, isn't it, how quickly we forget the goodness of God. <laughs> how forgetful we are. 
how, how, how awfully, how quick we revert to past manifestations. It's the truth. Eating bread is soon forgotten. You must remember, not only had they saw miracles, not only the pillar of fire, uh, and the cloud and the pillar of fire, friends, they had quail brought to them supernaturally. They had manna every day. The miracles of God are all around them. And yet, there's this forgetfulness of the goodness of God. There's this forgetfulness and there's this panic that enters into them. And to be honest, it's common to everybody. I think the Jews are chosen by God because they show the best of humanity and the worst of humanity all as a microcosm, if you wish, to look upon. Everybody is there. When you're reading the Bible story, we're all there. There's a Judas in everybody, friends. There's a Moses, there's a Gideon, you know, there's compromise in us and there's, there is, there is all these contradictions flowing, but yet God elects it to himself and the excellency of the power is God and not of us. And so you have this, uh, you have this people are beginning to crowd against Moses and, and, and Moses is in this predicament, but we see what God tells him, go to that rock. And strike the rock, of course, and Moses takes the staff that he, that he struck the Nile and it turned into crimson blood. And he went and he struck this rock. And the Bible says that water proceeded from that rock and the millions of people began to drink. Right in the middle of that strife, God, I want to tell you right now, you might feel that you're in refidim, but it's not a resting place. You know, it might be in a place of real irritation, and I'm sure you are because we are all in that place at the moment. And actually, but I'm speaking to everybody today because we are all in refidim. We are all in a place where it's irritating us. It's, it's not nice. And many, just like Israel, are thinking, oh, why have you brought me here, God? Have you brought us here to die of thirst? You know, I would have been better in the world. That's what some are thinking. It would have been better if I wasn't a Christian. I want to go back. It's not really. and, and even with the church, there's so much resistance within the church today. So, Lord, I want to go back to be able to come into court church t- this morning. I don't want this refidim experience. I don't want to be in this dry and weary place, God. But yet God has brought us there. We, we must remember that. It is God who's in control, not darkness, friends. God is working out everything to his counsel. There is a plan for your life and a plan for my life. And in that plan and in that journey, God is working into us and weaving into us a testimony. Not a theory, not someone else's experience, but an experience for you and I to understand that there's still water flowing from the rock. And so they're ready to stone Moses, ready to give up, wanting to go back. And that's always the test for the Christian, wanting to go back. I want to go back to Egypt, all the leaks, all the social life we had back then. All the parties we had, all this and all, all that, friends, <clears throat> and wanting to go back and, oh, it's too difficult. <clears throat> and the children of Israel are brought to that place by God. Thank God when he brings you to a place of extreme irritation where you have no solutions, you have no clever answers. The sky has nothing to give you. The earth has nothing to satisfy you. Everything is dry and death is all round. Can you give thanks in that situation? Because the Bible says in all situations, we're to give thanks, amen. Not some situations, in every situation. The test of the Christian is to lift up holy hands regardless of the hour, regardless of the circumstances. That's the growth in your Christian life, friends. Can you say amen this morning, even in the middle of them? Can you lift up a holy hand today and say, even though he has struck me, yet shall I praise him this morning? It was wonderful. We were chatting this morning myself and Andy, and he said to me, "Do you want me to replace the glass of water with a with a bottle of water?" 
And I said, I know the scripture says you can pick up any deadly poison and it shall not hurt you. But praise God, I don't have that much faith this morning. Give me the bottle of water, amen. Because that water was sitting there for three weeks. But praise the Lord, amen. So out of dryness, God provided water for me this morning. Thank you, my brother. The children of Israel were brought to that place. There's no answers for them. And I want to tell you, friends, that is the place of the supernatural. That's the place where God starts to show up in our lives. That's the place where God starts to do something in us that is far greater than when it's easy, friends. That's the place where we, when we come through that experience that we end up with a testimony. And as I said, not a theory. There's so much theorizing within the Christian church. It nearly becomes false, doesn't it? Because we can talk about someone else's experience and read about David's experience or we can read about Moses' experience. But yet God wants you to experience his rest, his provision and his supernatural provision for your life. Hallelujah. So you move from a theory. You know, I know somewhere in the Bible it says we're meant to suffer. Never suffered myself, of course, but I'm sure we're meant to. Now is the time, friends in the midst of our own dryness. And so we see Moses goes and he strikes the, the rock and water comes out of it. Now we all know as Christians, this is a, there's several things going on in this passage of scripture. The history has been written, what genuine water is being expelled and, and, and to, to, to help the nation from, obviously, from dying of thirst. But also there's a great picture being set forth here too. Because everything in your Bible points to one person, his name is Jesus. Every storyline, and actually in fact, the underlining story, the, under, the real substrate of every narrative in the Bible points to Jesus, of course. And so he strikes this rock. Now, and the word strike is nakah in the Hebrew. It means to beat or to cast forth. Indeed, to kill or to slaughter or to murder or to punish or to slay, to give stripes or to surely wound. And of course, we see this picture of this rock. Now, Hebrews 10 tells us that they all ate of the manna in the wilderness and they all drank of that spiritual rock which followed them. And that rock is Christ. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. They all ate the spiritual manna. They all drank the water and the rock followed them. Now, interesting, the Jews, even in their rabbinic traditions, talk about this event here in Exodus. And they say that, Jehovah, that Yahweh supernaturally provided this rock. Obviously, we see that. And that this rock physically followed them wherever they went. The rabbinic tradition says the rock, when it moved, looked like a, a swarm of bees going over a hill. That, that was their description of it. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but I do believe it's true because Paul says that rock followed them. And so every way they went, God gave in. How else would you give water and sustain you know, three million people and their sheep and cattle for nearly 40 years in the wilderness, friends, in a desert place. How would you do it? Except God supernaturally fed them. God supernaturally clothed them. God supernaturally gave them water. And that's the sort of God. And if God did that, does that for them, friends, then let me tell you, you can have confidence this morning that what God did for the ancients, he will do for you. He is faithful. And so this, this picture type, water coming out of the rock and millions of people being... Um, sustained from it. The children of Israel are brought to that place. It pays a testimony. Humanity is in this constant state of thirst, friends. There's such a thirst in our world today. A thirst for reality and life. A thirst for a sense of belonging and why, a purpose. A thirst for God, except men don't even understand it. But the real 
thirst of the soul is a thirst for God. That's the real cry. Because you can satisfy every other desire in the heart of a man, and yet he's still not satisfied, friends. It's only when one comes and drinks from the reality of Christ and a relationship with him. Give a man all that this world has, and he will still thirst. He still won't be satisfied. It doesn't matter if you get back to the pub, that's never going to satisfy you. Another drink is not going to do it. Another one night stand, another promotion in the job, another relationship, another reinvention of your personality. None of it was satisfied because there is a thirst in the heart of men and women that only God himself can satisfy. And Jesus in John 7, now we all know the story of John 7. And Jesus turns up at the, 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 the great feast, the feast of tabernacles or the feast of booths. And that was a Jew, one of the seven feasts of, uh, I think it was seven feasts of Israel that they celebrated this very time in history. So God commanded them as a perpetual feast that they would, they would make these small little, you could say, huts, and they would live in them for eight days. And in that place, they would consider the journey of the wilderness. They would consider the testimony of God. They would consider water from the rock. And during the ceremony of those seven days, the priest would go down to the pool of Siloam, David's pool, and they would bring a golden vessel and they would fill it with water and they would bring it to the temple and this was done with great ceremony and great rejoicing because they and they would sing from Isaiah chapter 12 for, you, you shall draw water from the wells of salvation and so this time of tabernacles this time of the the rock was a, a picture type for them of salvation in actual fact, they believed from that very temple, from Ezekiel's, that the water would actually flow out of the temple into the Kidron and down into the Jordan and then eventually into the Dead Sea and purify everything. They believed that when Messiah would come, that all these things would happen. There would be, you must remember, friends, back then water was life. You don't sustain anything without water. I know a lot of us today, we're not really clued into how things work, but without water, friends, this planet would cease. You can go many days without food, but you can only go a few short days without water and you're dead. And so they had this understanding of life and the life of water. And of course, when Messiah would come, he would come into the temple and out of that temple, out of the north gate would flow a river that would make dead waters live again. And so there was this great sense of typology going on at the time of the feast. And Jesus turns up and at, the Bible says at the, at the end of the feast, at the very last day of the feast. Now what would happen at the last day of the feast, of course, was something, was the, it was the, obviously the apex of the celebration. They would go down, they would gather the water in the gold in a gold flask or vase and they would bring it to the temple again sounding lighting the menorah candles and blowing the shofar and there was a lot of rejoicing and they would go into the temple area and in the temple the priest would walk onto the rampart that was elevating above the altar where they sacrifice the bulls to the Lord interesting actually when I was reading about this yesterday when they sacrificed 13 bulls every day but they would reduce it right down until the last day they would only sacrifice one bull and that bull was for Israel. But when you, when you added, when they, when they reduced it down and it got to one, one bull on the last day, in total of 70 bulls were sacrificed at that time. And the rabbinic tradition again was that the one bull was for Israel. 
but the other 69 bulls were for the, uh, the other 70, sorry, were for the nations of the world. That even in the thinking that the Jews understood that salvation was coming to the world, amen. The, the salvation was going to come through the Jews to the world, but it's a lovely picture type. And, and so the last day, this is, this is a huge ceremony now. It's, a, it's one of the great ceremonies of the Jewish calendar, one of the great uh, holiday seasons. And so the priest would take the water, and two priests would go, one would carry the water, and they would go up the ramparts, and they would have two silver funnels. One would pour the water down one funnel, while another priest would take wine, and he would pour it down the other funnel. And of course, this symbolized many things, God's provision in the desert. It symbolized, of course, the, the Messiah coming and bringing his freshness and his water, and it symbolizes the Holy Spirit. And of course, this is the very time, this is the time when everyone's, Stopped talking. They watched the priests pour the water down the funnel, pour the wine down the funnel. Eventually they would mix friends. And that's the time when our Savior stood to his feet. And he says, if any man is thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. For out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And of course, we can see the picture type of the Savior, of course, when they struck him at Calvary. Blood and water flowing from his side, friends. Oh, amongst them, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he speaks out with a loud voice. You, I can only imagine, you know, when everyone hushes to a silence. And Jesus comes late to the event because they're, ready, they're wanting to kill him. But there he stands up as he stands today to the power of his Holy Spirit and the testimony of his church this morning to everyone. If any man comes unto me, hallelujah, out of his innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. And of course, the Savior went to a Calvary, went to a cross, and he was struck once for us. The Bible says he died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that, we, that he may bring us to God. And of course, the typology is amazing. It's, it's wonderful. It's, it's absolutely refreshing to every Bible-believing Christian to see our Savior, to see the water and the wine mix, to see him stand and own it. That's a revelation of me. In fact, that was the time when they decided they wanted to kill him and rid him because he is now taking, he is putting himself in the place of Messiah and God and providing water and blood and life for the nation. And this is his message. He stands up on that great day. If anyone thirsts, it's the same today, friends. If anyone is thirsty, let him come unto me. And drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams or rivers of living water will flow from within him. This is the reality of the gospel. Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at a well. We know her story. She's a serial marriage killer. <laughs> she's had a load of failed marriages and now she's living in an adulterous relationship. Yeah, I just want to tell you, it's the reality of a God loves people, friends. We would turn away from such people, failures, but no, the Son of Man came not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him could be saved. That's who he is, friends. Lest we bring an old legalism lens with us that God is down on people. God came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's the heart of the gospel. See, he meets the Samaritan woman. Even already she's an outcast. They're a half-breed. They're a hybrid of paganism and Judaism mixed together. They are those who distort the truth as the Jews would have seen it, of course. She's drawing water midday at a well near a Samaritan village. Jesus is there. He asks her for a drink. And he said, if you had only known who was speaking to you, you would ask him 
and he would give you living water. Hallelujah. You know, friends, this morning, just so many people don't know him. They don't know who's appealing to him. They don't, who's appealing to them. They don't know the cry that's in the heart of God, but should they know? And they would ask him, Jesus will give them living water. Whoever drinks of this well, he said, will thirst again. Whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst again. Hallelujah. What a joy to be a Christian at this time, friends. To have that thirst sedated at this time. To have it quenched. To know the very power of God gripping hold of our hearts and our lives. And so these, I want you to go with me one more time because this event that we just read about in the Exodus happens again 38 years later. So now we have the children of Israel coming through the first event of Rephidim, resting place, complaining and grumbling and forgetting the goodness of God, forgetting their testimony. How often have I been like that? How often have you been like that? But God, who is faithful, of course, gives that water. Now 38 years later, Numbers chapter 20, if you have a Bible. And they're back in the same circumstances. No water. The people are complaining. They're wanting to stone Moses and Aaron. It's amazing when things get bad. Pastor Steve, Pastor Hamp. It's amazing who people want to stone, isn't it? It's always easy. It's always easy to take your IR out and your brothers and your sisters. They're not doing enough, giving enough, strong enough. Even for my own, my own life, there was, I had to get to a place in my life and, and I still have to stay to fight that ground that I can't sort out everybody's problems. I don't think I can sort out anyone's problems, but I can point you to a person who can sort out every problem. By the grace of God, we'll continue to do that because he is the source, not us. Amen. And of course, the people had to learn that Moses wasn't the source, that God was the source. And of course, we have this other incident here, and they're, they're, they're crying for blood again. And yet, yet they have experienced nothing but the favor and the goodness of God, the restoration of God. Even when they rebelled in, in the wilderness and they, they made unto themselves a, you know, a, a golden calf and oh, so many stuff that they did, friends. You know, it was horrendous. And yet God was so kind to them, so merciful to them. And they find themselves again. And you know, before we go to, you know, how many times have we, you and I, just like Israel, the moans and the groans and the complaints and the unfaithfulness in our lives. How many times have we experienced not, nothing other than the goodness and kindness of God flowing to us? And yet when we find ourselves in the desert, when we find ourselves in a reef of them, when we find ourselves in a place of irritation, it's not faith rising in our hearts, but there's this sense of complaining and moaning and groaning before the Lord. And it moves from moaning and groaning to murderous behavior in our hearts, speaking ill. There was no water for the people to drink at this place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. And the people blamed Moses and said, If only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers, why have you brought this congregation of the Lord's people into the wilderness to die along with our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? The land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates. I have no social life. My job is gone. Why did you bring me here for God? I'm restricted, I can't move. What's this all about? Oh, I'll tell you, friends, we can parallel it right up to our own lives today. How quickly we forget the lash of Egypt, the darkness that ruled our lives, the hopelessness, the despair that we had before we came to him. How all of us have a testimony. 
You have a testimony. If you're a believer this morning, you, had a, you would have remembered the day that you bowed your knee to Jesus Christ and the weight of your sin was lifted from you. You would recall the very moment that his Holy Spirit came in and touched you and how he fed you and carried you through good times and bad. I want to tell you today is not a day for turning. Amen. Today is not a day for complaining. Today is not a day to be like them. We must learn from them, friends. They're given for our admonishment and our encouragement. Human behavior is the same. We are all the same. But we can learn this morning that we have a rock that is higher than I. Hallelujah. And when it appears that the skies are brass, it only appears that way because the heavens are open to you and I. God speaks to Moses. Moses and Aaron turned away from the people and went into the entrance of the tabernacle where they fell face down on the ground. And then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, you and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there and it will pour out its water. Notice the difference. The first time he was told to strike that rock. Of course, we know it's a picture of Christ and God was setting that picture in place. And he struck the rock and water came out. But now 38 years later, he's told to speak to the rock. But Moses doesn't do that. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels. That's why I believe there was a lot of Corkonians among the Jews at the time, just to illustrate. Listen, you Corkonian rebels, he shouted. Listen, you Jewish rebels, he shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff and water gushed out. So the entire community and all their livestock drank and were filled. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land. What an awful indictment on Moses and Aaron. And I want you to understand here, friends, there's something here that's very, very weighty and very, very important for you and I. Moses, of course, out of anger and frustration and a level of unbelief as well, friends, let it be said, because he said, you did not trust me. So that's belief, that's faith. Moses thinks that he has to add a little bit of drama. Uh, Moses thinks he must add something to the instruction. And he's feeding that into the people because I want to tell you, friends, you don't have to add anything to the cross of Jesus Christ. You don't have, it's a finished work. All the doing is done. And you know, you have to control yourself even in your refidim experience. You have to have one of the, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. There's a time when you put your hand over your mouth, friends, and you have to just abide and wait and wait on the Lord because it will not be disappointing for you to wait on the Lord. And so Moses, there's many things going on. Moses is frustration. Moses is anger. And you know, you might be frustrated and you might be angry with your lot today, but I want to tell you, you are not to strike the rock. You're not to strike out and say foolish words. Words that will not, yeah, you'll get the blessing of God, but you'll never come into the fullness of it. <coughs> How many of us are never walking in the fullness of it, friends? Yes, we get blessing because he's a good God. But there is more for us than Moses and Aaron, they're sanctioned. Moses is ill temper. Brought him, and how many of us are just like, listen, before you start pointing the finger at Moses, just have a look in the mirror. How quick we are quick. We're like quick draw McGraw. 
with our, with, put on the gun out of the holster, shooting from the hip. How quick we are to accuse the very one that loves us and demonstrated his love to us and that while we were still sinners, while we were, while we were cursing him, while we were saying, give us Barabbas. Yes, us friends, his love was going towards us. How quick we are, friends, how eaten bread can be soon forgotten. The experience of the supernatural already have taken place in your life. New life has come. You've been born from above. But yet how quick we can be quick and ill-tempered to accuse him. And of course, he struck that rock. And of course, there's so many things happening here. Moses' anger, his indiscipline, and his unbelief. And it's robbing him of a fuller experience with God. And I think about my own life, how all those manifestations have robbed me, not of eternal life, friends, but enjoying God and victory and able to see more. Moses could have seen more of God, seen more of the fullness of God while he was living in the land of the living. There's something, you know, there's something very telling. I've seen it today. I've seen it with so many leaders. God, help us to have discernment in the hour that we're in. God says, you come and speak to me now. That's the relationship we're in. It's not about doing anything for God. It's not about your Pentecostal manifestation. Stomping around, cursing the coronavirus, (laughs) cursing the government, and cursing the demons, friends, and all that nonsense that's going on. It's not your... Christian church is looking more like the, the priests of Baal jumping around the fire than Elijah who simply, simply prayed and asked God. And there's something for you to have a revelation this morning that the work has been done. Jesus has been struck. The rock is there. There's nothing you need to add to that or take away from it. You don't need to do anything demonstrative. You don't need to add or take away from the work of salvation. You simply come and ask. And in the middle of your refidim experience, I think this is what God is wanting us to do. God is wanting to develop in us a cry and a relationship to talk with him. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to me in the private of your house. Tell me what's on your heart. Instead of just getting consumed with the children and and educating them and feeding them and your 5K walk or whatever your restriction is and getting into Groundhog Day. God is saying, I know you're thirsty. I know it feels dry, but you're to come and speak to me. What an invitation. Yes, an invitation to come in and hold your tongue. You are dealing with a holy God. At this stage of your Christian walk, it's expected of you now to grow up. It's expected of you to understand a level of decorum. And Christian, even the youngest Christian, God will give you the grace in understanding what I'm saying. Because he's already demonstrated his love to you. He's already brought you on this journey. He's sustained you for either weeks, months, or years, depending on your testimony. And now you come to a place and you say, Lord, I can't bear it anymore. But stop striking out. Stop trying to add to it. Oh, so many are, we'll break this coronavirus. We'll fast for 40 days and 40 nights. Well, knock yourself out. We'll declare, I will speak. You can declare all you want. You can speak all you want, friends, but I'm going to the rock that is higher than I. And I'm saying, God, in the midst of this trial, will you be my source today? Lord, will you pour living water in and through me again? Somehow, Lord, they have stopped. Somehow, God, my unbelief has gotten in the way. Somehow, God, I have lost the run of the mill that you're in control. 
38 years later, he's sustained. You know, the shoes didn't even wear out. You know, for 38 years, manna every morning, quail coming into the camp, deliverances, the pillar, the cloud. It, phenomenal sense of God's presence. The Shekinah glory coming into the camp. They had seen, friends, things that you and I would give our eye teeth to see them. And yet, the hardest, and friends, you need to remember what God has done for you. You have an open heaven. Christ was struck once, friends. No, don't strike him a second time with your unbelief. Yes, we do. What do you mean strike him with unbelief? When he says, I love you, how have you loved me? I wonder, does God love me? That's unbelief. That's striking him again. How often in our immature reactions to our, to our refilling experience, we're so quick for the low ball, you know, and, 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 and the low blow, the low attitude, friends, to reach down all the time. Striking him with unbelief. When he says you're forgiven. When you say, oh, I don't know if I'm forgiven. I want to tell you, Christian, you're forgiven. Not because I say it, because the word of God says it. Amen. When he says you're accepted. How can I be accepted? I want to tell you, you are accepted. I want to tell you this. It's a mystery. A mystery that the scriptures lay open to us. Should we read Why? We're accepted because he was rejected. He took our rejection so that we could be accepted. When he comforts us with his word, I will never leave you or forsake you. And then we retort, well, where are you, God? Striking with unbelief, friends. He was struck once at Calvary and what an awful blow that was to our Savior. He endured such hostility in himself by sinners as us. And now in your Christian journey, can I encourage you? Yeah, as the hymn writer says, no more without thee, glorious prince of life. Life is not without thee. Aid us in our strife. Make us more as conquerors through thy matchless love. Bring us safe through Jordan to our home above. Thy be the glory, risen conquering son. Endless is the victory thou, O death, has won. It's a time for us to declare truth. It's a time for us in the middle of refidim and dry places to say, oh God, I am not trying some existential religious manifestation. I'm not going for the beads. I'm not going for the treadmill. I'm not going, not, and I'm certainly not going to in anger. I simply and humbly come and speak to the rock. And I want to tell you, come and talk to God. I mean, in the midst of all your trial, truthfully, how many of us daily come to him for our daily bread? How many of us truthfully have come to open up the word of God, to be fed by God, to meet with God, to have a time with God? Do you know what? I dare to tell you that not many. The goal of us to bring an accusation when there is an open heaven a preservation. The circumstances may not change. Israel was still in the desert, friends. But God will give you streams in the desert. Hallelujah. Away in the wilderness. Jesus was struck once. And we should not be striking him a second time with our unbelief. I have loved you with an everlasting love. But you retort and say unto me, how have you loved us? Oh, what an awful striking to God. He said that in Malachi. Jesus was struck once, friends, never again. God won't allow it. God won't allow it. He was struck once, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring us to God. Rephidim is not a great place, but I want to tell you, this world is not a great place. We think it is at the beginning. The world is your oyster, but then the world becomes your prisoner. 
the world becomes your enemy. But in the midst of reefing there is a rest for the people of God. The rest is for you and I to know that God is sovereignly in control of your life and you don't need to perform for him. You don't need to perform for him. You simply need to come and talk to the rock and say, my soul yearns for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water, but I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld thy power and thy glory. And because your love is better than life, my lips shall glorify thee. I will praise you as long as I shall live. In, my, in your name I will lift my hands. My soul shall be satisfied as with the richest of foods. And with singing lips my mouth shall praise you. That is the victory, friends. Because that man or woman that lives like that has already died. And they live to only the purposes of God. Should you kick against the goads, you will not be any more hydrated. You'll just be more miserable. But if you talk to the rock, he will hydrate you. If you speak to him, have those times with him. And God will flood you. God will bless you. He'll gather you. And Rephidim won't be in irritation anymore. It will be a place of testimony and of the supernatural. How God has supernaturally held me and my family in the middle of the worst pandemic we have known in centuries in a time where there seems to be no answers in the heavens, no answers from the governments, no answers from the civic society, nothing inside. God has sustained me and with joy. And this is what they're saying. I, I forgot to tell you that, but even when Jesus stood up, I did tell you that at the last feast, they would sing, from joy we draw from the wells of salvation, from Isaiah chapter 12. Draw from those wells this morning. Come before him. Don't strike him with your anger. Don't strike him with unbelief. It's a horrible thing, particularly when he's done it all. Simply come and speak to Christ because that rock Christ is following you wherever you're going. And if he chooses to withhold for a moment, it's because he's working something in you, a cry. I think God is working a cry into this world because we have forgotten the Lord. The church has forgotten the Lord. The people have forgotten the Lord. But now there's a cry, oh God, my soul yearns for you. My body yearns for you. God, I'm thirsty this morning. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, they shall be filled. Bow your head with me right where you are this morning. Really go to God, and first of all, some of you need to do some apologies here. Maybe all of us need to apologize and say, oh God, I've struck you with unbelief. I've struck you with ill-tempered behavior. I've said things that are not true. Lord, are not befitting a son or a daughter. I should never speak like that to my father. And so God, I ask you, to, I'm so sorry. Say to him right now, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry for the ill-tempered behavior. I'm sorry, Lord, for the indifference. I'm sorry for how quick I complain. But now ask him, say, oh God, would you pour water upon this dry and thirsting soul? Let's see what God will do with you. Because I promise you, you cry out to the Lord and you ask him, you speak to the rock. You'll stand behind here when and if we ever get back and you will testify. I've seen the Lord. I've seen you in your sanctuary. You beheld your power and your glory. I've seen the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Father, I pray right now. Lord Jesus, I ask you, Lord, to come and water the thirsting souls today, Lord. Those who are, Lord, are so disturbed, so feeling that they're going to die, Lord God. And mentally and emotionally, spiritually. Lord, they strike you, Lord. Ill-tempered behavior, Lord. Unbelief, but Lord God, they are yours. We are yours, Lord. 
And so, Lord, we simply come and say, we're sorry, Lord. And we ask you to pour water upon our thirsty souls. Continue, Lord. Let that river flow. Not just to us, Lord, but through us to this world. That, Lord God, you said, out of the most inner being shall flow rivers of living water. This you spoke of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you today. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for standing up at that great feast, Lord, and announcing who you were to that Jewish world, for telling them the truth, that it was your water and your blood was going to pay for their salvation at Calvary. And so we celebrate that truth. Still it flows, the old song says, still it flows as fresh as ever from my Savior's riven side. Love him today. Can I just encourage you, just on the day of love, here in this love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Romantic love is a gift from God as well. So we can thank God for all that, friends, but to come to him this morning or today now and say, I love you, Jesus. You are my Valentine of Valentines. Without you, I would die and perish. Fill me again in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.